I'm so excited about this message, House of Joy. It's a great graphic, House of Joy. You know, a house is a physical thing you live in. A house could also be uh, considered, I want you to think about it this way, a bit of a metaphor for what you have created, the environment of your life that you've created. It's where you live, it's where you dwell. As a believer, you have a choice that people in the world don't have, and I'm grateful for it. If you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, if you have never made Jesus your Savior, your joy shows up when things are going right. And you take an assessment, and you look at the bank account, and you're like, ooh, the bills are paid, kids are fed, I can pay for Netflix this month. Joy. Government is not seemingly imploding right now. Economy is strong. Stock market is up. Check my Rocket app or whatever it is and made $50 buying GameStop stock this week. Joy shows up. Kids are doing right. Joy shows up. Kids are doing what I think is best for them. Joy shows up. Kids make a bad decision. Joy goes away. Stock market goes down. Joy goes away. Economy shaky. Joy goes away. That's not who I elected. That's not who I voted for. Joy goes away. That's coming up. Don't let it steal your joy. Joy comes and goes for the world. But for the believer, we just finished the season of Advent. And the angel declared, I bring you good news of great joy. That good news of great joy doesn't change with all the things that change in this world. The believer, the Christian, has a chance to be joyful and operate in joy no matter what is going on around them, inside of them. I mentioned this during worship, but that guy possessed with thousands of demons bowed down and praised Jesus. None of us have an excuse to not praise Jesus. And when we do, this isn't even part of the message, it will be within the next few weeks, but when we lay down our heaviness and put on the garments of praise, the spirit of heaviness is gone. We walk and operate in joy. Joy is a fruit produced in your life by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. He's a part of you as a believer, and he produces this kind of fruit. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, it goes on. Joy is right there on the top of the list. He produces this fruit in you. A product of your life can be, should be joy. Well, we're, we're conditioned. We live in a world. Romans 12, 2 says that if we don't on purpose renew our mind and think like the word of God, we will just conform to the way the world thinks. What does the world think about seed time and harvest time? The world thinks that there is times when certain fruit is produced, and there are times and seasons when certain fruit is not produced. That's a law of the world, actually. Apples are not in season in winter, spring, summer, and fall. Somehow we have apple trees in the yard, and I still don't quite know when apples are in season. But there's only a, a certain part of the year where they grow, 
and there's certain parts where they don't. But one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, Psalm chapter one, says that a righteous man, and we're gonna really be in this chapter today. So I'm gonna paraphrase here for a second. Then we're gonna jump into what it says. But it says that when you delight in the law of the Lord, when you're righteous, when, you're, when, you, when you are a believer, and there's some stipulations we're gonna get into, that you are like a tree planted by the water. Here's the best part. Bearing fruit every season. And in all you do, you prosper. We live in a world where fruit is only in season part of the year, where certain trees are only produced, producing fruit part of the year. But as a believer, the fruit produced in our life can be the same every season, no matter what. And if Galatians, Paul tells us that one of those products of our life is joy, that means that it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter what season we're in physically, spiritually, metaphorically. I mean, you know, maybe in the middle of the summer, but you're having a, it's been a bad year and you might have said, oh, I'm just in a winter season. I'm in a dry season. Well, maybe things around you are that way, but the product of your life can still be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, gentleness. There are some stipulations, and that's what I want to start this series off talking about. How do we build a house of joy? How is our life, how do we create, because we build our own lives, we, we, we build the things that we experience, it's because of our decisions, right? This, we, we are where we are because, at least for some part, decisions that we've made. I know there's some things we can't help, but we can choose how we respond. We can choose where we get stuck. We can choose to get out of certain habits, certain areas, certain lifestyles. We can make changes. If you feel stuck in anything, uh, come talk to one of us. Talk to one of the pastors here. We'll, we'll talk to you. We'll help you get unstuck. We can make changes in our lives. We build the place where we dwell. So we got to build it right. We got to build it right because I want to have a house of joy. I want to have a house of joy. I want to have a house of peace. We could go on. I want my life to be producing joy, peace, patience, all these great things in every season. So we're going to back up a bit. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, 3 is what I quoted, that you'll be like a tree planted by the water. Let's read back a little bit. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1. Let's just... We're literally going to be in verse 1 this entire message. So we won't even get to verse 2 today. But here we go, Psalm 1.1. I'm actually going to read the entire chapter. It's short, so don't, don't worry too much. I'm going to read it from a real Bible. You ready? Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with scoffers but they delight in doing everything the Lord wants. Day and night, they meditate on his law. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season without fail. Their leaves never wither, and in all they do, they prosper. But this is not true of the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They'll be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. So we got some good news in there for the believer, some not so great news for the wicked, 
but there is good news available to the wicked because all they got to do is say yes to Jesus, and then they are up in this first category with all of us, with believers. They have a really great future ahead of us, so bright you got to squint to look at it. There's some stipulations here in the first verse. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Okay, so that sounds good enough. Okay, I'm not going to follow the advice of the wicked, but talked about this quite a bit last year, especially I think towards the end of the year, I said this a lot. There are things that are lost in translation. I took this verse this week and I broke down every word. I did like this really big word study of every word in this verse, going back to the Hebrew, the language that David wrote it in, what he meant. Some of these words have different meanings. So here we are with this first verse. Oh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked. So first thing, we're going to talk about some good news. Uh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked. Well, you might be thinking, I'm wicked, I'm a sinner. Yes, but as a believer, Romans chapter 3 tells us that we are not sinners, right? Even though we sin, we are not sinners. I have a friend who was talking to somebody dealing with a sin, and they said, this is who I am. This is just something I struggle with. I am this. And my friend said, well, you know what? A couple months ago, I made a dumb mistake. My wife told me to go to the grocery store and to get something. And when we got, I got home, forgot to go to the grocery store. And she said, where is the bread? And out of my mouth to my wife, I've been married to for 45 years. I said, uh, you know, they didn't have any. They were out. She goes, they were out of bread completely. They were out. They were out of bread. She says, oh, well, you know what? It's okay. I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I'll run up and, and get some from somewhere else. And so he led her. She went and got some bread. Well, she happened to go, I guess, to the same place he went. She said, There's a lot of bread there. And uh, he says, yeah, I, I, I don't know why I told you that. I, I forgot to go to the store. He, he just said, there's this little stupid white lie after 45 years of marriage. He's like, but, and that was a mistake. He said, I sinned when I told my wife that they were out of bread. He goes, but let me tell you, I am not a liar. That doesn't make me a liar. That's not my identity. I told a lie. I am not a liar. You struggle with this, and maybe you struggle with it every day, but you are not this. That's not who you are as a believer. As a believer, Romans 3, 23 through 24 says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. How many of you have heard that? And the person stops. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isn't that where most people stop? I don't know why they stopped there. That's the bad news. The bad news is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the angel came and brought good tidings of great joy, good news. The next sentence is actually the good news. Here we go. Yet, it's a good word. If you see the word yet, then that means go back to that last thing you heard. This is attached to it. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Next time somebody looks at you and says, oh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If they stop there, you should follow it up with, yeah, and isn't it great that God made us right in his eyes, even though we fall short of the glory. Why don't you just finish it off like that? If somebody's bold enough to you to, to misquote part of a text, and or not maybe they quote it accurately, but to take it out of context and tell you about it, then take your chance. They evidently like to preach. Preach back to them. Yet God, in his grace, made every one of us who believe right in his sight. You might have sinned. You're not a sinner. 
You're a saint. You know, the greatest saints sinned. Read any story of any person in the Bible not named Jesus Christ. They all messed up. They all had shortcomings. If you're reading through the Bible in a year, you're probably reading the story of Abraham right now. That guy has some shortcomings. Two different times he was willing to give his wife to a king so that they wouldn't get killed. He was a coward at the very least. Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness when God said, I'm gonna give you a son. Do you know 13 years later that son hadn't arrived? God shows back up two chapters later, but it's 13 years of time. And he says, hey, don't forget, I'm gonna give you so many descendants that it's gonna outnumber the stars. It's gonna be more than the sand on the shore. And it says, Abraham put his head down and laughed at God in disbelief. The man who believed, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, 13 years later, hadn't seen the promise, lowered his head in disbelief and laughed. We've all been there. I might believe today, but you know what? Tomorrow, if things look different, if the money I'm believing for isn't there, if the breakthrough doesn't happen, if I don't see the promise, I might not believe. You know what? Even that doesn't make you an unbeliever. You're a believer. You need to remind yourself of the promise. You need to remind yourself who God is. You need to sing a song like we were singing up here. You are who you say you are. I am who you say I am. I believe no matter what, get yourself out of it. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God didn't condemn Abraham. His response to Abraham's unbelief was that was actually the moment he changed his name to Abraham and said, all right, and this time next year, he got a little more specific. Abraham lowered his head in unbelief. He said, uh, yes, you're right. Lord, thank you for Ishmael. That was not the son God promised, but that was the son he had. Some of us think, okay, well, I don't have exactly what you promised, but uh, at least I have this. You're like, yeah, Lord, thank you for giving, me, for giving me that. Thank you that you're blessing that. And God just responded and said, at this time next year, your wife, Sarah, that I promised would have a baby, will have a baby. And at that time next year, they had a baby. You need to go back to the word. That's what God did. He went back and gave, told Abraham, if you forgot, this is what I told you. Go back to the word. And if you don't have what the word says yet, it's still on its way. And if you're still breathing, there's still time. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Don't think I'm a sinner don't think I am just this. No, you are a child of God. You are made righteous in the sight of God. So when we read this in Psalm chapter one, don't stand and follow the advice of the wicked or the sinner. Don't stand on sin. This is not talking about you. What this is referring to is a believer who, here's what we're getting at, thinks, acts, thus the outcome of our life is exactly like the unbeliever. Even though we're believers, there's a lot of believers who live just like the world. When you live like the world, you get the results of the world. As a believer, the difference is you have a choice to live differently. When Lee and Lisa first got married, anybody that's been married has probably had this, you get married and uh, you have this list, I will never say this to my spouse. I will never do this. Maybe you saw your parents with some unhealthy habits. Maybe you saw other people with unhealthy habits and you make your list. I will never do that. 
It wasn't too long into our marriage, a couple years maybe, uh, we had a little argument and I remember, don't remember what it was exactly. I don't think Lisa does either because we've talked about it. All I remember is I said something in the middle of an argument that was verbatim, word for word, something that was one of my, I will never say this to my wife. It came out and I'm telling you, I let myself get pretty darn depressed about this. I let myself get really down in the dirts, down in the dumps. And uh, we watched a movie that week. And in the movie, the good guy is talking to like his mentor about how he sees traits of the bad guy in the movie within himself. And he says, I'm scared I'm becoming just like this bad guy. And his mentor says, oh, well, don't be scared of that. You're just like him. You don't have to be scared of it. You are, you're the same. And the protagonist gets all sad and he's like, what do you mean we're the same? And he says, we're all the same. It's just our choices that make us different. That's what makes you different. And that set me free a little bit because I went back to Lisa and I said, listen, I know I said this, that was something I swore off, but that's not me. I'm gonna make different choices from this point forward. A believer can make the same choices people in the world make and you will get the same results as people in the world. The only thing that makes us different is Jesus. The only thing that makes us righteous is Jesus. It's not our behavior. If you want to start measuring sin, maybe this, you know, people in the world sin this much, but you know, Christians, we only sin this much, so we're okay. No, no, no. Paul actually said anything not of faith is sin. If you know what to do that is right, yet you don't do it, it is sin. It is sin. So if you want to measure sin, unbelievers are probably right around here and believers are probably right around here. Anything not of faith is sin. I mean, that's a big one. You want to measure it? We're all there. Amen. Yet you're not a sinner. Amen. You're a saint. You're a child of God. You're made righteous because of Jesus. That's actually what leads us to, that's the good news that actually leads us to the, repent of the sin. That's actually the good news that leads us away from making the choices that aren't in faith. There should be a difference between the way the believer thinks and the way the non-believer thinks. And that's what the first line of this first verse is saying. Oh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked. In the next line, you get the word sinner. They're different words. They kind of have different meanings. This word in the first part of this uh, verse here, let's see, I wanna make sure I, I, I say it's the right one. I know the definition here even better than I know what the actual word is, but it's the word, I believe, chara, and it means sinner, but it refers to somebody's character, not their actions. So this is talking about somebody whose character, the internal, the inside part of them thinks just like the world. So the advice they're giving you is the advice that the world would give you. So here's what we do. Our first stipulation to experience joy. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. So here's what we got. It starts with our thoughts. When we think like the world, we will experience joy the way the world experiences it. But when we don't think like the world, when we think like who we are in Christ, when our mind is filled with the word of God and we're meditating on what the word says over what anybody else says, we will experience joy. 
so we don't respond to things from the inside of us the same way the world responds. When fear and anxiety is in front of us, the world embraces it. We saw a book this week in a bookstore that was a kid's book. There's this little furry monster looking thing in the corner and this little kid petting the furry monster. And it said, my, my, my good friend or my pet anxiety. So it was about embracing a part of your life, anxiety, like it's a pet that you nurture. It's just a part of your life. The Bible says be anxious for nothing. That book, it might as well have been a book of spells. I don't care. That, was, that is evil. That goes against the word of God. Be anxious for nothing. Anxiety is not your pet. It does not come from the inside of the believer. Anxiety is an outside attack. The world or the enemy will throw anxiety at you. The world thinks, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm just going to feel it, let it in, breathe deep, whatever. No, no, no. Reject it. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God. Resist anxiety, and anxiety will flee from you. The world embraces. We reject it. Sickness and injury, when that faces you. You don't have to receive it. You feel a little tickle in your throat. Don't plan a whole week of staying at home and having your little concoction of Dayquil and Mountain Dew and whatever else it is. I don't know. Like, don't plan for that. Plan to be better. Plan to get well because the word says, by his stripes you are healed. Resist it. We, this is just kind of goofy. We kind of laugh. We don't, call, we don't call days like that sick days. We call them well days. Taking some time to get well. That's what we're doing. Operating in joy in every season, according to Psalm 1, verse 1, starts with rejecting the way the world thinks and renewing our mind to the word. Here's the second line of the first verse. So we got, oh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked. So let's go back here. There's a comma. So, oh, the joys of those who don't stand around with sinners. Sounds like the same word as wicked. That first word, chara, is this word that means like uh, inside personality, thinking, thoughts. The second word, standing on sinners, this is about action. This kind of sinner here is a sinner because the actions are evil. So it starts off by saying, don't think like the world. Here's this one saying, if you don't think like the world, you won't act like the world. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You can change your actions here and there. But let me tell you, the root of the issue is the way you think. That's, right. That's how you change behavior permanently. you got to change the thought process. You can't just, you can change your diet periodically. You can change your diet. You can get on whatever trend is trending. You can get on the keto thing. You can get on, there used to be Atkins thing. You could get on whatever it is. You can lose weight. You can get healthy for a season. You go back eventually to the same way and your body goes back to the same way it was. You can change your diet but you also have to change the way you think to maintain health. You've got to change things at the very heart of the matter, the very thought. That's why that's listed first in Psalms 1, chapter 1. Oh, the joys of those who don't take the advice of sinners or of the wicked. Those who don't stand around with people whose actions are sin. That's an action word. So that is talking about your thoughts, the way you think, becoming action. There's some great examples in the word. Paul was in prison. Silas was with him in prison. But because of where they thought, because of where their thoughts were, they weren't prisoners. And eventually the action on the outside 
mimicked the thoughts because the chains fell off of them. Same guy, Paul, he was shipwrecked. He was floating in the ocean, but he wasn't a castaway because he had a word. You will have a chance to stand before the government. He hadn't done that yet. So he knew floating in the ocean as a shipwrecked person, I'm not a castaway. God is with me. He knows where I am. And I know with boldness, my actions are not that of a castaway. The joys of those who don't stand around with sinners. When the world's economy is shaky, what does the world do? It withholds, it hoards. What does the Bible say to do? Give and it will be given unto you. I be looking as a believer, the way you give right now should not change the way you give if the economy crashed and tomorrow all of our dollar bills were worthless. Because how does the believer give? We ask the Lord, what seed belongs in the ground? What bread belongs on the table? That's why we encourage everybody here to give that way. It shouldn't change because other things change. It's a mindset. We don't think like the world, therefore we don't act like the world. We don't stand around. Our actions are not like those of the world. Starts with our thoughts, bleeds into our actions. And here we go. This is David writing this. He wrote this psalm. The third place, the third part of the first verse Oh, the joys of those who do not join in with scoffers. King James, I believe, it says sit around with scoffers. So we go from take the advice of the wicked, meaning think like the world, stand around with sinners, act like the world, or sit with scoffers, this word scoffers is kind of cool. It's, it's the Hebrew word. I don't know how to say it, but it's a Hebrew word. It starts with an L. And it means to scoff at. A deeper meaning means to teach or to interpret something. So what it's given us the idea of is the outcome, the outcome of our life, the place we dwell, what the outcome of our life, if we think like the world and we talk like the world, the outcome will be just like the world. Even though... We are not sinners like the world. We are the righteousness of God. Lord, why are you punishing me this way? He's not. Your thoughts, your actions, they're punishing you. Do you know God doesn't even punish us for sin? Does that make you nervous? The whole point of being a believer is that Jesus took the punishment for our sin. Do you know why it seems like God is punishing you for your sin sometimes? Because your sin punishes you for your sin. It's cause and effect. Sin has built-in punishment. And the word is true when it says it leads to death. It's bad. Don't do it. You can mark my words. Write them down. Don't do it. It's bad. It's not good for you. Sin will punish you for sin. You know who else punishes you for sin? The devil. Sin gives him an inroad, a place into your life. Sin is like opening up a locked door to the devil and saying, come on inside. I got the heat on. You'll be comfortable. Let me take your shoes off. Would you like a, would you like a cappuccino? We got an espresso machine for Christmas. Excuse me, Mr. Devil. Would you like a nice espresso drink? 
We've really mastered this in the last three weeks since Christmas. We can make your milk frothy. Would you like oat milk? Would you like soy milk? You probably drink soy milk. I don't know why that would be funny. I don't know know why. He's watching his figure. But sin is honestly not that different from opening your front door and asking the devil if he'd like a latte. We got some leftovers. We can heat them up. Some of you are very good hosts, very polite. Stop being polite to the devil. Stop making him a meal. Stop inviting him to sit at your table. He does not deserve that honor. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. How am I doing that? Because of your thoughts and your actions. When you think like the world, when you act like the world, the outcome will be just like the world. We got believers inviting the devil to every dinner. We got believers opening the door and making goofy little lattes. He probably drinks decaf as well. Sits around with scoffers. The outcome of your life will be just like the world. The word sit is where we get that idea because that means we're at rest. At this point, this is not what you're producing. At this point, with your own hands, this is just the outcome. Oh, the joys of those who don't sit around with scoffers. So the idea we have from the first verse of Psalm chapter one is that if you want a house of joy, if you want the place you dwell to be a house of joy. If you want your life to be filled with joy, it starts with the thoughts. You gotta think like a believer. You gotta think like the word. You gotta fill your mind up with what the word says. And then the actions will follow. And then the house that you've built will be a house of joy. When Lisa and I were 19, we were somehow, for some reason, allowed by our parents to plan a wedding, to put a date on it, and uh, to get married. We were pretty young. We were pretty young, but we, we had some rules, and uh, we followed them. If you're wondering what those rules were, this is another message from my father-in-law when I said, I want to propose to Lisa when I was 18. He said, sure, propose. You can get married when you own a house, when you got two cars, no payments, $10,000 in a savings account, and enough money coming in each week to pay all your bills and to have some fun and to give. It took us a year and three months, and we had all that, and we got married, and it was awesome. It was a good foundation for our marriage, for our, and it's been great, 20, 20 great years of marriage, partly because of that good start that uh, my father-in-law encouraged us, told us we had to have. But when we were 19, we bought some land in my in-laws, in their neighborhood, in Charlotte, and decided we were going to build a house instead of just buying one, and we built that house or at least we would have, the way two 19-year-olds will build a house. We looked at pictures, and we thought, ooh, that one's cool. That one, that's the one we want, and we picked it. As far as I was concerned, the guys were going to show up and build that exact house that exact way according to those blueprints, and that's where we were going to live. My father-in-law been around the block. He'd built a couple houses in his lifetime, and he was looking at the blueprints one day, and he said, you know, this is a really weird place for your hot water heater. I bet you we could build on this little room here 
uh, have them arrange these blueprints to where we can move your hot water heater, expand your bathroom, and put a nice jacuzzi tub in your master bathroom. You guys would enjoy it. That'd be great. That's an awesome idea. So we did that. And then he was saying, you know what? Your bedroom is kind of small. The house was kind of smaller. You know, he's like, your bedroom is kind of small. It's going to feel like the walls are caving in on you. How about we make your bedroom a little bit bigger? We make the other rooms a little bit smaller. When your kids that you eventually will have are little, they'll be in the little room. And as they grow, eventually you'll probably be out of the house and it'll be perfect for them. So we did it. We expanded our bedroom. We started taking the advice of somebody who's been there, who's done that, who knew the ropes. And the very house we built was different from the blueprints that we had, and we enjoyed it so much more because we changed the very way we thought about building this house. It starts with the thoughts. That's where you get the blueprints. That creates the actions. It's the guys running around, putting the walls up, putting the hot water heater where it's supposed to go. And then when the actions are complete, you have a house to live in. And picture your life like that. You're where you are right now because of the way you have thought, because of the actions that have come out of that thinking. This is the house you have built right now, right here. If joy is not a part of every day, if joy is not a regular part of your life, it's time to renovate a little bit. It's time to take some of the depressing pictures off the wall and go find a nice Thomas Kincaid at the Goodwill. Put it up. It's a nice scene. Some of you got to tear the walls down. Some of you got to break it down to the very foundation. Think a little bit differently. Build those walls a little bit differently. The Bible says we build our house on the solid rock, not the sandy, not the sandy uh, ground, not the, not the rocky ground. No, we build it on the solid rock. If you got Jesus in your life, your foundation is great. you got Jesus. Amen. But if you're willing to think differently than you've ever thought before, you got to tear down some of those walls. you got to tear down some of that wrong thinking. you got to decide for yourself, I'm not the sinner that everybody else says I am. I'm not the sinner that I look in the mirror and see. I'm the saint that Romans chapter 3 says, even though I do mess up and I have messed up, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is actually his goodness that makes this sinner into something different. It is his goodness that takes this sinner and makes a saint because of the righteousness of Jesus. You're not going to look in the mirror and think, ooh, I've done good. I'm all right now. That works until you haven't done all right. You look in the mirror and you say, man, Jesus looks really great today. I'm so glad that in my weakness, he's strong. I'm so glad that in my failing, in my failure, he is still causing me to win. He's still making me the head and not the tail. He is still making me right with God. You got to think different. You have to think differently. We knew a lady. I can invite the band to come back up. We knew a lady. She was one of the best people we've ever met, Miss Jean. She ran a Bible school in Torreon, Mexico. We used to go see her about once a year. Sometimes she'd come up to visit until she passed away. She was a believer. She loved the Lord. She wanted to be in ministry. The, the, the church she was in first told her she couldn't be in ministry because she was a woman. And there's a whole crazy story. I can't give you all the details, but she married somebody 
who was a minister. She thought maybe I can be a minister this way. Crazy story. Turned out he had like other families in different states that he was legally married to. The church found out, ostracized him, kicked him out. And after her divorce, she was told, well, now you, you can't marry one of our ministers because you're basically damaged goods. You married somebody who had multiple wives. You're a polygamist. She said, not by choice. And they said, it doesn't matter. So she went into this fit of depression. She started drinking heavy. She started doing drugs. She was still a believer, but she changed her lifestyle completely for the worse. And even after years went by and she gave her heart back to the Lord and she wanted to get back on track, she was still dealing with addictions. Now, I'm not about to give you a, a program to get yourself um, rid of addiction, but I'm going to tell you what she did. And if the Holy Spirit encourages you to do something similar, do it. But she said that the Holy Spirit told her one day, I think that she said cigarettes or something was the last habit she couldn't kick. And the Holy Spirit said, um, ask me if I'm enjoying this cigarette when you light it up. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. that. That's too far. That's blasphemy. And uh, it took her a few days and she just kept hearing the Holy Spirit say, ask me if I'm enjoying it. And she said, okay. So I lit a cigarette and I said, you enjoying this one? And she didn't hear him say anything back. And the next day she lit a cigarette and she said something like, well, I hope you enjoy this one. Didn't hear anything. And for days and days and weeks, she kept basically inviting the Holy Spirit into her habit and asking him out loud, like, are you enjoying this? I'm, I'm about to enjoy it. She said, you know, she'd get frustrated. I'm enjoying it. I hope you are. And after weeks, she said what she realized is that before when she would light up a cigarette, when she would give into an addiction, always what followed was guilt. Every time she pictured the Holy Spirit or the Lord basically chastising her, like, like popping her on the hand. You shouldn't be doing that. You're dirt. You're nothing. Yet when she did something that she thought was kind of rotten, asking the Holy Spirit if you'd like to smoke a cigarette, she said what she realized after a few weeks is that she didn't feel any guilt coming from him. She didn't feel any condemnation coming from the Holy Spirit. And when she realized that within her addiction, actually inviting the Lord into it, she actually experienced the opposite of guilt and condemnation for the first time. And that was the last cigarette she ever smoked. It was that revelation that set her free. The revelation that even within her mess, the Lord wasn't rejecting her. He was still embracing her and she still experienced his love within the mess up. Do you know why? Because she wasn't an addict at the very heart. She wasn't a sinner. She was a saint set free. She just wasn't acting like it. She wasn't thinking like it. The Holy Spirit used that to change the very way she thought about that addiction. Changing the thinking changed her actions. And by the time I met her, she was one of the most joyful ladies I'd ever met in my life. You've built the home you're living in. It is all right to do renovations. When you renovate your life with the word, you don't have to go get a loan. You don't got to figure out how to pay for it. Jesus paid for it. It's free to renovate your life as a believer. It's free to tear the walls down and to start rebuilding something better. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Period. Yet, comma, in his goodness, let's just read it again. In his goodness, in his grace, he freely makes us right in his sight. 
In other words, we don't have to pay to be made right. Our good actions don't pay for it. Our bad actions don't lose it. It is not something that can be repossessed because you own it outright without payments. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Man, if you're somebody who deals with a lot of guilt, condemnation, I hope you're going to get set free today. I'm going to tell you this. It can't happen because you hear a good message. Here's how it happens. You have to do the work. You got to change the way you think. You have to actually change the way you process information. Next time the lie hits you that you're a sinner, that you're messed up, that you're rejected, combat that lie. Pick up the word and respond to yourself. You know what? I, I, this is where I usually feel like a failure. This is where I usually feel like a sinner. This is where I usually feel like I've messed up, like God's rejected me. But thank God, because of Jesus, I'm right in God's sight. Because of Jesus, you see me the same before this cigarette as you did after the cigarette. Thank God that he sees me the same before the outburst of anger and he sees me the same after the outburst of anger. Thank God that you see me the same when I was successful in paying my bills on time. You see me the same when I'm experiencing what my brain has interpreted as failure and I'm unable to do this on my own. Think like a saint, not the world. What'll happen is those actions that so many of us, we start off wrong, we're like, well, I'll just change my actions. I'll just stop doing it. I'll just give it up. This is the year. This is the year I'm gonna eat better, dress better, have a better haircut, get a better job, better, better, better. Everything, everything. It lasts like through January or something, maybe if you're lucky. If you're good at, if you're good at sitting around and being miserable. I'd much rather experience change in my actions because the very thinking is different. That's the way it lasts. That's the way it lasts. Paul was in prison, but he wasn't a prisoner. Paul was shipwrecked, but he wasn't a castaway. Maybe you're in the middle of a job. Doesn't mean you're unemployed. You got a job. You got a job. Go out, take dominion, tell people the gospel. You're a, you're a, you're a priest. You're a king and a priest. Whatever it is, renew your mind to what the word says. Remind yourself out loud that you're not the lies. And you're going to start seeing different kind of walls being built. You're going to see a house that's much more suited to the believer, that's filled with joy in every room. That when the world is going one way, you're still experiencing joy, moving steadily towards glory. Amen? It's good news. Oh, the joys of those who do not take the advice 
of the wicked, who don't stand around with sinners, who don't join in with scoffers. They delight in the law of the Lord. That's the word of God. Meditating on it day and night. That's what you're doing. When you combat those lies, you're meditating on what the word says. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted by the water, bearing fruit in every season. And in all they do, they prosper. You're going to have a house of joy that produces good things at all times. But even as a believer, if you think and act like the world, you will get the results the world gets. We have better results as believers, but it starts with our very thinking. Amen. You can do it. Let's worship for a few moments. Let's respond to the word. Then I'm going to come back up with a call for ministry and our prayer ministers.